If I were to ask you this morning, what words come to mind when you think of your prayer life? What would you say? What words comes to your mind when you think of your own prayer life? Maybe some of you would think of the word delight. Oh, you love to pray. You pray regularly and you have great joy. That's where you are. Perhaps others of you would say, Thomas, when I think of prayer, one of the first things that comes to mind is that sense of inadequacy. I just don't know sometimes what to say. I feel there is something missing. And at times I don't even bother praying. Maybe you will you'd say that the word the word guilt comes to mind. You are well informed of the mandate to pray. You've been a Christian for a long time, yet constantly you are aware of the fact that you pray very, very little. You don't find delight in that which should cause you delight. And you pray very little. Maybe other words would come to mind. But regardless of where you are this morning, I believe the text that we just read, the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples 2,000 years ago, and that are for us today, it is my hope and prayer that God will use these words to encourage us. Regardless of where we are. If you're finding delight, that you'd have even more delight in prayer. And if you perhaps are at a point where you're like, well, I don't know. I'm ready to just give up on this prayer business. I don't know how. It just doesn't seem to work for me. I trust that you will be convinced of the fact that God has called you to pray, that you would be encouraged to pray And that God would cause all of us to experience increasing delight in this most gracious privilege. The text that we just read, I believe, answers for us at least three very important questions regarding prayer. Namely, does it matter how we pray? To whom should we pray? And who is this being to whom we pray? Same question. And third, what should we ask for when we pray? What should we ask for when we pray? This morning we'll be focusing on this last question. Namely, what are we to ask when we pray? What guidance are we given in scripture on what we are to come before God with? However, before we look at this last question, I believe it's worth saying a few things about the the other two questions. Does it matter how we pray and to whom are we to pray? Because I believe it's not just for our information, but they are really related. Um, Our ability to know what we are to ask is very connected to the other two questions as well. Namely, the way we are to pray. And to understand there are wrong ways to pray. And to think of the being 
to whom we are praying this morning. So, let's begin then by looking at the first question quickly. Does it matter how we pray? Uh, if you were to ask that question to people in the street, many people would say, oh, of course not. It doesn't matter as long as you pray. Just like faith. As long as you believe. Does it matter? As long as you pray to it, to whomever it is, the important thing is to pray. Well, the Bible it makes it very clear that there are wrong ways of praying. And as Christians, we need to be aware of those wrong ways of praying. Those who want to pray biblically. Want to pray prayers that God longs to answer. Prayers that are honoring to God. And Jesus gives us, he gave his disciples two wrong ways. He wanted to warn them against those ways of praying. Wrong ways of praying. And the first one is found in verses 5 and 6. And Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. This is the first wrong way of praying. The way of the hypocrites. They love to pray in public with a very specific goal to be seen by others. It is clear that Jesus is not condemning public prayer Per se. Rather is condemning praying in public with the primary goal of being praised by the public. The Bible exhorts us to pray. The people of God prayed publicly and we certainly do that. But there is something terribly wrong when we stand to pray before God and our goal is to impress those around us. We may even use the right language, the right theology. But as we are praying, our concern is not with the God before whom we stand. But rather, with the response that we're hoping to get from others. Have you ever been tempted to pray this way? Maybe you haven't, but I'll tell you, I have. And I want to heed this warning. Not to pray like the hypocrites. Jesus says praying like this is not a good thing at all. It is futile. And when you pray like this, there is a reward. And the reward is not from God. The reward is exactly what the hypocrites are looking for. You pray for the praise of men, and that's what you get. And nothing else. The praise of men. And to this wrong way of prayer, Jesus then issues a corrective. For he says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And to your father who sees in secret will reward you. Obviously, Jesus is not here saying that we need to literally, that's not the idea of finding a closet. That you're going to designate one closet in your house. That's not the idea. But the idea is, as we come before to God to pray, that our focus is on God. That He is the one to whom we are praying, we are speaking to. Yes, we know there are people around us. But our concern is not in saying things 
to get a response from them, but that we are aware of the person, the God before whom we stand, and it is to him we are speaking. Our business in prayer is with our Heavenly Father. Another wrong way of prayer that we see in this text, in verse 7 through 8, is what Jesus describes as praying like the Gentiles. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. And the warning here is against not just repeating, but vain repetition. Somehow believing that arranging words and phrases in a particular way somehow has some magical formula that we can manipulate and move the hand of God. By the way that we say what we say, by the number of times we repeat those words and phrases. That's how Gentiles work. Do you remember that text in the Old Testament? You remember that? On Mount Carmel and, 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 and how did they pray? Oh! Said the words and the God had answered, start cutting and doing things. Who knows what it, how many things they said. Sometimes we believe we can come before God thinking that if we just say the right things the right way or in the right place, that's where the secret lies. Not so, Jesus tells us. It's not the words. For we are told that when we're praying, we're speaking to a God, to a Father, who not only hears, but who already knows the needs of his children before they are even expressed. So we need to be mindful of those things, brothers and sisters, as we come to prayer, that we're not praying to impress people, and that we're not praying like the Gentiles, thinking that it is the formula that holds the key to prayer. So Jesus did not leave them there and just say, well, here's what you are not to do, but he wanted to tell them how they ought to pray, and he gave them what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And I believe the Lord's Prayer is a great model for us in terms of how we ought to pray. How are we to come before God? And it actually begins by reminding us of the need to be aware of who to, the person to whom we are praying. For it begins, Jesus says, when we pray, we are to say, Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Could spend the rest of the morning and perhaps months and not exhaust what is, totally, what is involved in this great reality. That we, can, that we come before the one who is our Father. And essentially, when we, hear, when we see this from Jesus, what, what is very clear is that prayer is connected to the reality of our adoption. Last time I was here, I spoke on adoption. This great doctrine where God, by grace, has chosen to make us his very own through Christ. And 
I believe, and it is referred to as one of the greatest, if not the greatest privileges of redemption, that God not only forgave us, but he has made us his very own children. And because we are children, because he's our father then, we can come to him and pray. Jesus could have used other title, Mighty God. Not that again, it's wrong to say that, by the way. But I believe there is a reason why Jesus, in this prayer, he says, pray, our Father in heaven. So if you struggle with wanting to pray, as I have at times, feeling guilty, not knowing what to say, begin, meditate on this great reality. Our Father in heaven. Think of what this means. That you are before this God who is not just a God out there, but He is your Father. Your Father. Abba. Daddy. This is a remarkable thing, brothers and sisters, to be able to call God our Father. See, in the Old Testament... Father is used in reference to God about 14 times, brothers and sisters. However, there is not one instance where we see someone calling God Father. Does that make sense? He is referred to as Father, but we do not see anywhere in the Old Testament where someone is, says God Father, addresses God as Father. Yet in the New Testament, Jesus does that when he prays. To the Father, but He welcomes us, He invites us, He tells us, Yeah, when you pray, join me in calling Him our Father in heaven. This is where prayer must begin with a recognition of who we are in relationship to the God. To whom we are speaking. And that's how it is in terms of communication, correct? Suppose you were to visit the White House and the president were in his office, and then his sons or one of his sons were to be there. Don't you think that there would be something different by the way they talk to each other? Versus a complete stranger, perhaps a secretary. Why? Because to his children, he's not just President Trump. He's father. In prayer, we come before the one who is our father. The one who is our father by grace. So what about guilt? What about sins? What about that sense of unworthiness? Oh. Any proof that we've... Any greater proof of acceptance by our God? That he has in love made us his children? Our father in heaven... We come before him with confidence, knowing that he is near us. And certainly that does not rule out 
reverence and humility. For he is our father who is in heaven. He is unlike any other father. There is no sin in him. There is no unrighteousness in him. But he's our father. Now we come to the question that we really want to fo- set the, uh, fix the rest of our time on. Namely, what should we ask for when we pray to our heavenly father? And in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives us six petitions. The first request pertain to God himself, who he is. And the Bible tells us here that when we pray, we are to pray that God's name would be honored and exalted. Hallowed be your name. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that. But again, when we're going to look at the last three, but we, we don't, we're not praying the last request independently of these. Our main preoccupation as children of God must be the hallowing of God's name. The one who is our Father. That we would desire, that we would long for His name to be set apart above every other name. We ought to pray that His kingdom would come. That God's reign and rule over us would extend, not just over us, but over all things, over all peoples, now and in the future, in its fullest. We are to pray that His will would be done, that His word would be increasingly obeyed in the church, in our lives, and in the world. This morning, what we want to do is look at the last three petitions. And so when we are to pray, you want to know what to ask? Jesus tells us that we are to look to our Heavenly Father continually for the provision of our daily physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. What does it mean to pray this prayer? And why is it important to pray this prayer? Three things I'd like to say. First, asking for our daily bread of our Heavenly Father means that we understand that we need Him always, at all times, for every need that we have. For every material need that we have. And whatever need has been granted, has only, is, has only been granted because our Father has provided for us. We are totally dependent on God. So when we pray this prayer, what it does, we're expressing to God the fact that we need Him. We need Him for food. We need Him for health. We need Him for the very air we breathe. So it expresses our dependence, but it also promotes Right, not our, it expresses our dependence on God, but it also promotes it. So we pray this prayer because we are aware of our dependence on God, but praying it as well helps us grow in our dependence on God. It helps us see that whatever we have, we did not get it ourselves. Sometimes we think, well, well, in, in those days, people needed to look to God for rain and the sun. 
so that they could have crops, but today we live in more sophisticated society, we can provide for ourselves. How foolish is this thought? How foolish is this thought? For even our very breath, the air we breathe, we depend on God for it. You go and work in an office, how do you get there? What gives you the mind to think and work? Yet at times we don't understand how fully dependent we are on God. We pat ourselves on the back for the things that we have and look down at those who don't have as much. As though the only reason why we have and they don't is because we are just better. Or we are simply harder workers. And again, this is not to minimize the fact that yes, we ought to work hard, that God uses means, but that's exactly that. God uses means, but God is the ultimate provider. He uses my work, He uses my hands, but God is the ultimate provider. You believe God can provide for me without my own hands. Ultimately, my hope and the hope for the provision of everything that I need and my family needs is not in me. It is in God. There's one more thing that also we should note about this request. And that we are to pray this petition not just for ourselves. But also we are to pray this on behalf of our brothers and sisters. Did you notice that it says give us, give us this day our daily bread? Give us this day our daily bread. So when we pray this prayer, we must not be simply mindful of our own needs, but we must be mindful of the needs of the family. If you look at the entire Sermon on the Mount, it is embedded in the context of family. Father, do this that you may be like your father. Everything. It's it's father and, and children. And of course... If we are children, that means we are brothers and sisters. So we come looking together to our Father to provide what we, His children, need. Does that make sense? You see how radically different this is from how we are often, how we often approach this. I need this, Lord. I need that, Lord. So we must be mindful of our brothers and sisters. But that also means, as we pray, we are also aware of the fact that God provides for His children, often through His children. So as we're praying, perhaps God has given you plenty, but if we're praying this prayer rightly, when we're praying for the family, we should not be surprised at times that God is going to use us to provide for the needs of his children. Does that make sense? And if we are honest, we've got to identify with our brothers and sisters in the time of need. And then crowd to God and say, God, 
Please use me. Not giving reluctantly, but considering it a great privilege. A great privilege to be used of God. To provide for the needs of his children. That's how God does it. That's how he does it. So we are to pray for our daily bread. For the provision of our physical needs. But that is not all. This prayer also calls us to pray for another need that we have. We need to pray for the forgiveness of our sins. If the first prayer is prayed in light of the fact that we are creatures before God, that we are dependent children before God, this second prayer is to be prayed in light of the fact that there is something wrong with us. That we are not just innocent creatures or children, we are sinful children. That we are disobedient children. That we disobey our Heavenly Father. Yes, we are His children. We are saints in Christ positionally. We've been accepted by God. But we all, I believe, my brothers and sisters, can testify to the fact that there is a sinful nature that is still in us. And too often we grieve the heart of our Heavenly Father by our thoughts, by our words, by our deeds, by the things that we do, as well as the things that we fail to do. As God's children, we owe Him not just partial obedience, we owe Him total obedience. Yet the sad reality is that too often we resist and ignore and disobey is clear instructions. And it does matter to God. It does matter to God. Yes, we are justified. There will never be condemnation for us. Christ took our condemnation. But our Father cares deeply about our relationship with Him. Our standing with Him will never change. But sin can hinder our experience of fellowship, our experience of intimacy with God, our knowledge of God, our being used of God. And so we must deal with our sins by asking God daily and continually to forgive us, to forgive us for our sins. And I believe praying this prayer then means at least four things. It calls us to never, never, on this side of eternity, lose sight of the fact, regardless of how much we've grown, that we will continue to need forgiveness. It's not just something that, we, that was true yesterday when we just became believers. It is something that is going to be an ongoing issue for us. Second, praying this prayer reminds us of the necessity as well that is imposed on us to extend forgiveness to those who have sinned against us. As you see here, connected to this request, forgive us our debts, is what? The phrase, as we have also forgiven our debtors. We say, Father, forgive us as we, forgive us as we have also forgiven our debtors. 
And this is amplified later on in verse 14 and 15. For Jesus says, and he repeats it. I'd like to believe that it is important. Jesus does not want us to miss this. He says again in verse 14 and 15, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I must realize that for by reading this, many of us may be troubled. What in the world is this saying, Thomas? Is this saying that the ground of my forgiveness is my forgiving others? Is this saying that I'm to earn, I am to earn my acceptance before God? That I'm to earn my forgiveness by forgiving others? That is not what it is saying. But rather that we show that we have been forgiven of God by the fact that we are forgiving our brothers and sisters. That is what it is saying. And if we are not forgiving others, then we should ask ourselves whether or not we've been forgiven. So this is a very serious text. This is a very serious text. Those who have known the mercy and grace of God ought to be marked by a forgiving spirit. In Matthew 18, 21 to 25, we have the parable of the unforgiving servant. You're probably very familiar with this parable. Where Peter came and he asked Jesus, Lord, how often... Will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy seven times. And he gave this parable, and please bear with me. I want to read it for you. Listen to what Jesus says. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will repay you. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused. And went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. 
And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you had pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from, from your heart. I believe what we have here is Jesus making it clear to us how incongruous it is for us to have known the depth of God's mercy for the great debt that we have incurred toward him while at the same time not releasing our brothers and sisters for the tiny debt that they have against us. This is not, I believe, for us to say, oh yeah, this is what may happen to true believers who have known the, 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 the grace of God that they may be found to be wicked and condemned. I don't believe that's the point at all. But I believe what Jesus is teaching, hey Peter, if you've been forgiven infinitely, then there is no counting. There is no limit. Don't you see it? Suppose you owed somebody $10 million, right? Suppose I owed somebody $10 million. I owed Ben $10 million. I don't know if Ben has that much money. But imagine that possibility. And I come here and Vince says, Thomas, come on. You've been promising to pay me for a long time. And I don't know, man, what's going on with you. You remember what we said? You don't pay, you're going to jail. Not just you, but your family. And I come before him and I say, man, I have to be honest with you. I'm in deep trouble. I know I promised to repay you, but I cannot even begin to repay you. I can't. And I understand that you'd be right to send me to jail and not just me, my wife and my kids. And I fall on my knees to this rich man and say, have mercy on me. I cannot repay you. I'm going to stop promising. All I'm asking is mercy. And then he looks at me and he does the unbelievable thing. Thomas, as of today, you owe me nothing. And I walk out of the church, and people see me. I am jumping up and down. Thomas, I've never seen you so happy. What's going on? Oh, you want to know what's going on? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. And I tell them. And then I get in my car. And I drive. And then I find that brother on Tara Boulevard in Monday's Mill 
who owed me 40 bucks. And I look at him and I say, what's going on, man? You've been promising to pay me that $40. That is, that is, it is ridiculous. Man, what's wrong with you? Well, please, man, I, things are really tough. Bear with me. And I said, you know what? I've had it with you. I've had it with you. You've promised again and again. I've had it with you. Yes, I know, I know, I know, I know. But now I really don't have that $40. I only have a couple of bucks and it's to put food on the table. I don't care. And I take him. And while I'm doing that, Brother Joe comes along. And he comes, he said, is that Brother Thomas? And he listens and he sees what's going on. And, and he goes and says, Van, you know, here's what happened. That's what we all like, my dear brothers and sisters. And I'll just say, it may be a helpful analogy, but it still does not do justice to what the text of Scripture tells us when we refuse to forgive the small debts that our brothers and sisters have against us. And yes, I know, maybe you're saying, Thomas, maybe it's easy for you to say, you've not been sinned against the way I have. You don't understand what it's been like for me. With this, that husband or wife or friend or father you don't understand what I've been through it's deep it's painful and you come in with this little illustration about forty dollars don't get it right I do not know what our experiences have been my dear brothers and sisters and if you've experienced Deep hurt, maybe from brothers and sisters. I'm not here at all to minimize the pain. I'm not here at all to even say that big deal, just have a little theological talk. Hey man, just move on. Don't you see what the back? No. What I'm here to say is, I don't know but God knows. And the God who is good, who is true, whose word is true, whose word is for your good, who knows your pain, says to you, I have forgiven you, and you need to forgive. And you say, how God? And he says, I will give grace for that. I will give grace for that. How God? Say, well, look into my word. And allow the Spirit of God to open your eyes. And then you will see. As big that debt is. That that person has told you. It is infinitely small. Infinitely small. Compared to the debt that you had toward me. And let me tell you. That debt caused me pain. It caused me My dear son, 
My dear son suffered because of your debt. This is how, brothers and sisters, and this is the only way I know on this side of eternity where we as sinners can find grace to forgive. I can't think of any other way. It is only as we look at the enormity of our debt, the immensity of God's grace and mercy, that we can truly find by the Spirit of God the grace to forgive. But I will say, forgive we must. Oh, it's hard! It's exactly why we need grace and idea, brothers and sisters. It's not a song. We cannot bear fruit, Jesus says, unless we abide in me. We cannot do anything of eternal significance apart from the grace of God. And God wants to be glorified. I don't know where you are this morning, but my dear brothers and sisters, this is something that we must pray continually. That God would forgive us and that we would be a forgiving people. Oh, that God would be pleased to allow us to know the depth of his forgiveness. And that we would forgive one another. I'd like to believe marriages would be so much healthier. I, can you imagine what would happen in marriages in the church of Jesus Christ if we were to just take this? And allow the grace of God to work. Oh, to know the forgiveness of God. And to experience the power of God in forgiving others. And what exactly is involved when we say forgiving others? It means a few things. Let me just say what it does not mean. It does not mean denying the evil of what was done to you. Don't minimize it. If what was done was awful, do not minimize it. It was. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't even mean necessarily having the same relationship you had before. With someone perhaps who proved themselves to be untrustworthy and they had hurt you. Forgiving them does not mean now you go back to the way it was before and just open up. It does not mean that. But it does mean, at least it means... You're not seeking revenge. You are not seeking to hurt the person who once hurt you. But more than that, it's not just passive. It is also active. You are actively, and I'll say it again, you are actively praying for that person's good. Actively praying for that person's good. And you are willing to be used of God to be a blessing in your life. The gospel is clear. And that's again, we need to see this. The picture of family is very helpful here. We are to be the center, to be like our father. In salvation, what God is doing is recreating his image in us. What is the goal? Conformity to Christ. And it begins now. Jesus says, Father, forgive, though, forgive them, they don't know what to do. 
And we see this cruciform life manifested in the Acts of the Apostle. As Stephen was dying, what did he say? Father, please do not hold this sin against them. In case we're saying, this is not humanly possible. God gives us examples. It is possible because of the grace of God to truly forgive. It is. We had a debt that we could never, 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 never pay. But in Christ, God has released us from it. And he will never put it back on us. And any debt that he's owed us is infinitely small compared to that great debt. Third, we must not deal lightly with the sin of unforgiveness. I think I've said enough on that. When the Spirit of God makes us aware of the fact that we are not forgiving our brothers and sisters, it is not a light issue. We must take it seriously and ask God to forgive us of that sin of unforgiveness and to help us do what he calls us to, to forgive from the heart. This also means that as we pray this prayer, it helps us to take sins more seriously, does it not? When you, as a child, you love your father, and you've sinned, you've done wrong, you've offended, you've disobeyed your father, does not the process of coming before your father and looking into his eyes and seeing his tears and seeing the sadness, does it not move you to not again want to displease him? You know of his great love for you. So when we sin and we come before God and we ask for forgiveness, it helps us not taking sin, to not take sin lightly, but to ask for His grace to obey Him. Lastly, in addition to praying for the provision of our daily bread, for the forgiveness of our sins, lastly, we need to continually look to our Heavenly Father for His protection over our lives. And lead us not into temptation, Jesus tells us to pray, but deliver us from evil. We are not just needy and sinful children. I think we sang that earlier. We are also weak. We are also weak children. We cannot fend for ourselves in this evil world. So we need God to protect us. We need Him to protect us as we face the reality of temptation. We live in an evil world. More than that, we have within us fleshly desires that stand in opposition to that which is good. Desires that move us toward that which is evil in the sight of God. So we need God's help to protect us from falling into temptation. We need God's protection as we face the daily assault of the evil one. It's protection from evil 
and from the evil one both, because the evil one is behind all evil. So it is both, I be, both things, I believe, that are in view. We live in an evil world, and there is a being called the devil, who is the enemy of our souls, and who wants to destroy us. And we cannot fight him in our own resources. We need the protection of our heavenly Father. In Ephesians six ten to 20, we are told that we are in a spiritual battle, brothers and sisters, against the devil and his evil schemes. And we are not always aware of his schemes. But our Father is. And he can protect us. Jesus in John 17, in, in what is known as the high priestly prayer, what really is the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus actually prayed, there's a prayer that we're looking at really is not one that Jesus prayed or could have prayed. He would not certainly have had a need to ask for forgiveness. It's a prayer that he taught us to pray. But in the priestly prayer, listen to the word of Jesus as he has our protection from the evil one in view. He says, ah, as he's getting ready to leave, and he understands where we're going to be, he says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. But for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. That they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world, listen to this, has hated them. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you may keep them from the evil one. You hear that? The world is not our friend, it is obvious from Jesus' words. Let us not be surprised if the world hates us. The world will hate us because of our identification with the one that they hate. Namely, our Savior, Jesus. The world is a dangerous place and there is a devil who hates us. And Jesus prayed as he's getting ready to leave the earth. Father, I kept them, now you keep them. Protect them from the evil one. So in what we are given in Matthew is an invitation then by Jesus to join him in praying the same prayer. Does that make sense? He prayed for us. He's praying for us for our protection. And then he says, don't be passive now. You join me. Join me in praying this prayer to the Father. We need God's protection, my dear brothers and sisters, in the face of temptation. 
as we seek to stand against the schemes of the devil. Oh, the song we sang earlier was good. Lord, I need you. I trust that's been obvious. I try to make it clear, all right? That we need him for our daily bread, for everything that we need. Oh, we need him for forgiveness and when we are weak in this world. The world is filled with many devils. And yes, it threatens to undo us. And we would have every reason to fear if God were not on our side, brothers and sisters. So as we close our time this morning, I'd like to give you a few final words. I want to encourage you, my dear brothers and sisters, to praise God continually for the wonderful privilege of adoption through Christ and for the blessing of prayer that is connected to it. Prayer is a privilege of sonship. Praise God for that. It's not something that should, that should make us feel guilty. We should say, wow, who am I? That God would shed his grace on me. That he would forgive me of my sins. And he could have just left it there and say, okay, no wrath for you, but you're there. Distant from me. That would have been grace. But then he says, I'll make you my very own. You are my children. And I love you. And I love you. And you are mine forever. And you are even co-heirs with my eternal son. When you pray this prayer, may it move you to praise God. For the benefit of calling him Father. And I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, to... Meditate on this prayer this week. Take time to meditate. We're familiar with it, aren't we? But take time. Read those words and talk to God about them. Let them guide you. Sing in response. Chew on these words. And may this prayer help you. May they serve as a pattern for how you are to pray. We didn't talk much about the first three requests. But yeah, can you imagine how great it would be if we as a church were increasingly praying this way, being consumed with the glory of God, with the hallow, for the, 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 the sanctifying of His name, the exaltation of His name. Oh, that's a prayer I want to pray continually. For God's kingdom to expand, for his will to be done. Yes, at Baraka, in our homes around the world. Pray that God would use this prayer as well, brothers and sisters, to create in us a deeper longing for the full establishment of God's kingdom. It's not going to be perfect here. We're going to see answers. But there will come a day when God's name will be totally hallowed. There is a time when His will will be perfectly done. And there is a time that is coming when we will not need to pray, protect me from evil. Because evil will be done away with. Sin will be no more. The devil will be Totally, totally judged. 
So as we pray this prayer, we pray that we would experience grace, but may it cause us to look for even more. May it cause us to look for that which is to come. And lastly, I'd like to say that the prayer that we've been talking about, Tracy Talbot, but it is a prayer for the followers of Christ. Jesus did not teach this prayer to everybody. He taught this prayer to his followers, those who can call him Father. So this morning, for all of us who have come to know Christ and have become children of God by faith because of what Christ has done for us, yes, we are to pray, but if you are here this morning, And you do not know Jesus. This is not the prayer that we are asking you to pray. The prayer that you need to pray is a prayer that says, Father, I understand that I am a sinner. Your word makes it clear that you are holy. And I'm sinful. And I realize that there is no hope for me in and of myself. Please help me to put my faith in Jesus, your son. The one who died on the cross for sinners in the place of sinners. That's the prayer. Boys, girls, have you trusted Jesus as your savior? The Bible says, as many as received him, to them he has given what? The power to become the children of God. And as children, then we cry to the Father. So if you are here, you have never placed your trust in Jesus. We're not asking you to just go do better this week. Or to just pray more. I've more faith to see God do some exciting things and give you cause or whatever you need. What we want to plead with you is even today to say, God, have mercy on me. I know I am a sinner. Save me. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And we do join our voices and say, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. May your name, Father, be exalted above every name. May you be honored in our lives, in our homes, in this church, amongst your people around the world. We pray that your kingdom would come Increasingly now in the hearts of your children. That you would rule over everything. You would rule over us. You would rule over this church. You would rule over our families. And we long for the day when your kingdom will come in full. May your will be done. Cause us to be obedient children. Cause us to pay attention to your word. And help us to be children who love the Father.
and who show that love by submission and heartfelt obedience. And when we grieve you, help us to never, never become comfortable with displeasing you and sinning against you. May we be quick to ask for forgiveness. And yes, Father, we declare that we depend on you for the provision of everything. You give us breath, you give us health, you give us house, you give us jobs, you give us food. And we pray and we pray that every day we would give you thanks for you, what you provide. That we would continue to look to you, not put our trust in our bank accounts. But that we would put our trust in you. And may we be compassionate toward our brothers and sisters and pray for them. Lord, pray for their needs. And yes, Father, help us to take sin seriously and run to you for forgiveness. That we would be marked increasingly by holiness, Father. And yes, we look to you in our weakness. We trust you for your protection. For yes, the, de- the world is a scary place. The devil is powerful. But you are the God of all power. And we are safe in your hands. Forever. Oh, to you be the glory and the honor. Now. Now and forever. Amen.